Hi guys, my name is Francesca Reichter and I'm the founder of the Inspiring My Generation Corporation. And today I'm here with Annie from Annie and Anxiety on Instagram. You share a lot of information and tools for coping with anxiety and ADHD, which I absolutely love. So I'm so happy you're here with me. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, I'm excited to be here too. So can you tell me a little bit about you and why you started your page? Yeah, so I've been blogging for a couple of years. I studied English in college. I had an English degree and I've always really enjoyed writing. And I actually needed to start a blog for a class project at my end of like my capstone class before I graduated. Um, so I had had a pretty private, just like normal blog, but I decided to start writing a little bit about ADHD and anxiety for that capstone class. And then once it finished, I just kind of kept writing about it and talking to my friends and family about it. And then it was kind of really impulsive. I'm really impulsive. That's part of ADHD. But I just had the thought that maybe it would be cool to start a page. So I just kind of went with it and I got a good response. So I just kept going. So that's where we are now. <laughs> that's really amazing that you took something from like a college class and were able to use that to really help you later on and to continue it. And you're helping so many people. I mean, if you go on your page, you have these like ADHD toolkits, which are so incredibly helpful and important. There's so many kids specifically who have ADHD who don't get diagnosed properly or they get diagnosed but put on the wrong medicine that doesn't really help them cope and they don't have those tools. So to be providing those tools is absolutely incredible. How did you come up with those tools? Um, it's from therapy. So I'm actually one of those kids who isn't diagnosed. I wasn't diagnosed until I was 19. So I went through my entire childhood, entire school experience, not knowing that I had ADHD. And because of that, I dealt with a lot of shame because I felt like I just wasn't good at school because I am in between two of my siblings that are both really, really good academically. My older sister, because she was just so organized and could lock herself in her room and just study for hours. And my brother was just naturally good at every subject. And I wasn't either of those things. I wasn't really naturally good at everything besides reading and writing, but I also didn't know how to study and didn't have the focus and the concentration to really do that, to stay focused for that long like my sister. So I kind of struggled academically and that was really difficult for me. So after I was diagnosed, um, after my first semester of college, when I was still struggling and my mom was like, okay, what's up? So we got me diagnosed and I started going to therapy to deal with the shame that I had felt for all of that time. And so the tools I started learning in therapy and I got an ADHD coach through my college as well. Um, and he really helped me figure out how to study, how to do life things that were difficult for me in a way that my brain could understand. So that's where those tools come from is from my therapist and my ADHD coach. That's really cool. really long roundabout answer. <laughs> no, that's really cool. And that's really important because a lot of people don't know where to get those tools or how they come about. And so I have a younger brother who has ADHD and he got diagnosed pretty young. I think he was second or third grade when he started medication for it. But a lot of the medication didn't work for him in the beginning. Right. So he was always struggling with school and staying focused and the medication would wear off early in the day. So then he couldn't do his homework. He just could not get himself to focus and he couldn't really put it into words to explain it to us right. so for a long time we would always get on him like why aren't you studying why don't you care and of course I happened to be the kid that was like I will sit all day and study and read like if I could read a book every single day I was the happiest kid in the world 
<laughs> no, we were very opposite as kids. And they were like, well, why don't you put in that effort your sister's putting in? And right. then ran into, why can't you just focus in school? Every other kid is focusing. Exactly. And he never understood it. And the, they were like, you're on medication. Why isn't it working? And it's like medication can be great, but finding the right medication for ADHD can be so difficult. And it's not always enough. And eventually the medication wears off. And what do you right. do then? And there's so many resources and tools that are available that people just don't know about. And right. like my brother just started college now and he's still like figuring it out and figuring out how to get his ADHD in, his, in check in a sense that he can focus long enough on a calculus problem because that's not something he's interested in. Right. So it's not, it's not like a normal student who's not really interested in it, but has the ability to really sit and focus without having all these thoughts and all this, just your, I feel like your mind, the way he explains it, is like your mind just is in a million different directions at once and you right. can't bring it to that focus. Yeah. And it looks like you're not paying attention. I think that's one of big misconception about ADHD is when you see someone and they're sitting there and they should be doing their homework, but they're not. An outsider's thought is, what are you doing? Like, you're not thinking about the homework, but you are. You're thinking about the homework, but you're also thinking about the people around you. You're thinking about what they're doing. And then you have a random thought about what happened last Tuesday that related somehow to sometimes in those math problems, they'll like do a little story, right? And in the middle of those, it'll remind me of something that happened last week. And then I'll think about that. And then that'll remind me of something else. And then all of a sudden I'm going down a rabbit hole of thoughts and I can't remember what I was doing in the first place. And it's hard to get back to that. So when it looks like we're not paying attention, we are, we're just paying attention to too many things. It's hard to sort out what the thing that we're supposed to be paying attention to is right this second. <laughs> that's a really important thing to like point out. And it's such a big misconception. People think that they're just not focusing. It's not they're not right. focusing, it's you're focusing so intently that you're focusing on every possible thing that relates to that one subject. Right, exactly. And did you ever find that you have like certain things that you're really fascinated about and you could just learn every single thing about it? My brother would go through phases where if he was really interested in something, he could learn every single detail because he was so like attentive to every detail. He could tell you exactly how a car was made and what model was and what the engine was. He was just so excited about every aspect of it. Did you ever feel like that? Um, I was mostly just not anything really specific, but I was just super into reading and writing. And those were my things. And actually when I got diagnosed, um, I found out that I'm in the 97th percentile for reading and writing fluency and skills and the 13th percentile for math and spatial reasoning and logic. And so it's really interesting to see that huge discrepancy and that, yes, it's hard for me to focus, but also my brain is actually wired to not understand spatial reasoning and logic. So that makes it that much harder. Um, but I can relate to your brother in the way that I would jump kind of, did he jump from thing to thing or does he stay focused on that one thing that he likes? Never right, jumped. Jump, the jumping, yeah. So I was in swim team and I did that for a couple of years and then I switched to cross country and then I switched to marching band and then I thought that I wanted to be in choir and then like I just hopped over to so many things and in college, I originally went and I wanted to be a kindergarten teacher. So I was studying elementary education. And then I switched to occupational therapy. And then I switched to marriage and family therapy. And then I switched to English teaching. And then I switched to just English. <laughs> and so, yeah, in that way, I hop around a lot. So how did you find out exactly what major like you wanted to do? And how did you 
because when you are jumping around, that's such an important thing to realize how you get to that point where you know and you figure it out. Because like my brother right now, he just started college. It's his first semester. It's like he doesn't completely know what he wants to. He has some ideas and then he, but it changes constantly. Right. So how did you figure that out? So the reason I wanted to be an occupational therapist in the beginning, I have a younger brother. He has ADHD also. He's 11 right now. But he was born premature with hydrocephalus. Won't get into that. That's a whole other conversation. But he went to therapy, occupational and physical therapy, a lot growing up. And I would go with him. And I thought it just looked like so much fun, that therapist, to hang out with him and to, like, help him do little problem-solving things. And it basically just looked like playing with a toddler, but, like, helping them. And so it seemed so cool and so meaningful, but also so fun because I really love kids. And so I wanted to do that. But like I said, when I got tested... The math, it just wasn't happening for me. And there's so much math and science involved to be an occupational therapist. And I know that if I really hammered down and really, really tried with my coach and with my therapist, I could probably make it work. But it just, it wasn't making me feel good to not excel in that degree. And it wasn't making me feel good to constantly be way below average in test scores for those. And I just, I didn't like taking math and science. It just wasn't a good fit for me. And so I moved to marriage and family therapy because I've always been interested in helping people and always been interested in talking with people and therapy. But then with my own stuff, I hadn't finished working through it. I wasn't at a good place with myself yet. So I felt like when I was in that major, I was like, okay, this would be good. This would be fun. But if I'm not emotionally able to cope with my issues, even if I learn about them and learn how to be a professional, how in the world can I help? other people with their issues. And so I abandoned that and I just went with what could get me through college, what could help me finish and make me feel good and successful. Cause that was really important to me with my mental health solo, I needed to feel successful and something if that makes sense. And so I took it back to like my core, like what am I good at? What do I feel successful in? And that is reading and writing. So I switched over to English and all of a sudden I was excelling and doing well. And then because school became easier for me and I was successful in that, I could focus more on healing my anxiety and shame and my mental health. So I just kind of did the switch mostly because I do love it, but also I just needed to have something I was good at in my life so that I could focus on dealing with the mess inside. So that's what I did. And I got through college quickly and that was what was good for me at that time. That's really good advice for anyone who's kind of in college right now and trying to figure out what to do and how to get through college because a lot of people have this misconception that you have to know exactly what you're going to do and what degree you get is exactly what you're going to do with your life. Right. And it's more about learning. College is more about learning how to learn and exactly. adapt to different situations. So learning to find something that makes you happy and you feel successful doing it and you feel that inner joy, that inner like peace and strength when you're doing it, that's something that's so incredibly important. Right. So you also have anxiety, correct? Yes. So have I, you noticed? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt no, you. You're totally fine. Go ahead. I want to know what you're going to say. Have you noticed like ADHD and anxiety? Do they kind of go hand in hand or are they completely like separate experiences? How does it overlap? Right. So I think it's a little different for me because I didn't know I had ADHD my whole life. So my anxiety developed this is what my therapist and like my coaches have told me anyway, my anxiety developed just from not feeling successful in my life and not knowing why. So I have an intense fear of failure. 
And like what you mentioned with your brother, how you guys asked him, like, why can't you just do this? Why aren't you normal? Like, what is happening? I very much had those conversations with my family, too, because of my sister, who was so different from me, and because of my younger brother, who is so different from me. And they're like, okay, they can both figure this out. Like, we're teaching you guys all the same. What is up with you? And so that comparison, and my family was really supportive, and they were awesome. Like, they're a good family, and I'm sure y'all are, like, a great family to your brother. But still, inside that feeling, that othering brought, brings on, for me at least, a huge overwhelming feel of failure where I don't want to ever mess up. I feel like I have to be perfect constantly. And I felt like I was trying so hard in school and it just wasn't working for me. And so that buildup of not knowing why, that's really where my anxiety stemmed from. And that's where I constantly still, like now that I know that I have ADHD, that was so relieving for me to know, okay, I'm not crazy and I'm not stupid. I just, my brain works differently and it's wired differently and I need to do things in different ways. And so I'm at peace with the ADHD and that was fine. But there is still years and years from when I started first, second grade, all the way to when I was 19, not knowing that that's what was wrong. And that is where, like, I still have to battle that shame and review my past in a different way and, like, reframe my thoughts. So that's where anxiety comes in for me. So I don't know how other people feel if they have anxiety and ADHD. I just know my experience. That's really interesting because a lot of people don't realize that when we put these expectations on, like, our kids, on our on students, on anyone, that why aren't you able to do this? Where kind of giving them that anxiety complex where they want, they so badly want to be able to. And a lot of times there's just, everyone learns differently. Everyone is different. And a lot of kids actually do have ADHD. It's very common. And we tend not to adjust to that in a classroom. We tend not to adjust to that in our expectations as parents, as adults, as a community, as a society. And even my brother knew he had ADHD. And so the classroom wasn't adjusted in a way that really tailored the way he needed to learn. So it was still, why aren't you good enough? And why are you failing your test? Why are you not able to focus? Why are you like um, lashing out? Why are you not just sitting down and listening like every other student? Right. We we don't realize that by asking those questions and asking them in kind of a more negative tone because not that we want to be negative or mean, but that we want to, we just don't understand it. And by presenting it that way, we are causing a lot of, anxiety and stress in these in kids minds that grows with them so that's something that's super important because I think as a society we really need to adjust and we have a long way to go especially in a classroom learning and I can't imagine kids right now with the pandemic who had to go online for school how are they focusing because so <laughs> you, you can barely get a kid to sit in front of a computer to do schoolwork as to begin with but with ADHD as well it's so difficult I can't imagine how difficult that really must be. So I was looking on your Instagram the other day and I saw this one post from Halloween where you had this like wall of awful. Yes. Tell me about that because I thought that was super cool and the way you explained it and talked about how, well, let you explain it. But I remember you said like this is, it was from like a year ago, correct? Um, So yeah, that is actually, it's from, there's another page. It's called How to ADHD. 
and it's a YouTube channel. And my mom, she's so sweet now. She sends me so many things that she think will be helpful. And so she was, she found this, I think she found it from Pinterest. I don't know, but she was like, this helped me like know what you were talking about. And she sent it to me. She's so cute. Um, but I looked it up and there's two five minute videos. I don't know when they were made. You said a year ago, maybe that's true. I don't know, didn't notice. Um, but there are two five minute videos that explain why it's so difficult for, I guess anyone, but especially for people with ADHD to do things that seem so easy. So for me, exam for example, I always procrastinate making phone calls, especially to doctors. Like if I need to set up a doctor's appointment, that is just so overwhelming to me. And it doesn't seem like it should be. When you think about it, you're like, okay, that call probably only takes 10 minutes, maybe less. And to most people, it seems like, yeah, just make the phone call. Like, why is that so difficult? But the wall of awful, as is explained in the YouTube video, is that before you can even get to that task that is supposedly so easy and simple, you have to deal with this wall. And this wall is built up of emotions. It's things like fear of failure, fear of judgment, procrastination is in there, there's shame, there's guilt rejection. There's just all of these emotions that are built up based on past experiences. So for me, my wall of awful surrounding that phone call is I have a difficult time communicating with doctors because they always ask me a million questions. And even when you set up an appointment, you need to know your insurance. You need to know all of the little details about your insurance. You need to know exactly what you need the appointment to be about. You just need all of these things. And when I, I know the answers to them, but when someone in authority asks me, my brain freezes. And all of a sudden, I just can't remember a thing. I can hardly even remember what day it is right now. And so I just feel so stupid on those phone calls because I just, my brain just freezes on me and I can't communicate what I'm trying to say to them. And then in the actual appointment, I have to drive there first off and driving has always been really difficult for me and causes a lot of anxiety and stress. So when I'm thinking about the phone call, I'm also thinking about the actual appointment and the fact that I'll have to drive there and then I'll have to talk to them at the appointment. And then they'll tell me medical terms that I don't know. And then my husband, who is about to go into medical school and is really interested, is going to ask me questions about the appointment that I won't remember. And so in all of that, I'll feel stupid and hard. And so I'm thinking about all of that while I'm trying to make this phone call. So yes, it takes about five minutes, 10 minutes to make the phone call. It shouldn't be hard. But when you take into account with the wall of awful and all of the thoughts and emotions and scenarios that could go wrong, I'm thinking about with that phone call, it, people can see that it, it's a lot harder to make that phone call when I'm dealing with all of that. So I have to deal with all of that first before I can even get to the phone call. <laughs> That's really, amazing way of explaining it because like my brother does that same thing where he's like terrified to do to make a phone call to he'll call me and he's like can you just stay on the phone with me and like I'll mute you just so that someone's there in case I need help right it makes him really nervous and I didn't realize how many thoughts really could come out of it and that's something that's so and that's a small task so imagine like bigger tasks and bigger things that that must be so overwhelming right so when you have those like overwhelming amounts of thoughts and questions and what's going to happen and how are you going to be able to handle it? What are some things you kind of do to 
kind of bring you back into the present and ground yourself? The first thing I do is I get water. I need cold water immediately because the cold just kind of like shocks my system back into, okay, this is the right here right now. And then deep breathing, deep box breathing, the in five, hold five, release five, deep breathing helps me a lot to get me kind of back into a calm mindset. And then when I'm feeling a little bit better, I get a journal or like a piece of paper or something. And I write down every single thought that I have in my mind as it comes. Because for me, I have a hard time visualizing things when they're not right in front of me. And so things can seem a lot scarier when they're trapped in my head. But if I get them all out in a list where I can see them all on the piece of paper and I've got my deep breathing, I've got my water, then I can look at each part of the list. And this is what, what all of this is referred to as climbing the wall. This is getting through the emotional barrier to the task so that you can actually do the task. And so yeah, water, deep breathing, write it all out. And then I take each little thought and I look at it and I ask myself, okay, is this thought valid? Is it true? Like, where is it coming from? How likely is it to happen? Like, and I kind of go through it that way. And then when they seem less big and daunting and scary and it's more manageable in those ways, then I can go back and be like, okay, so this, all of this won't be the end of the world. If I forget a question, like I can ask them to rephrase it or I can have everything ready. And that's another thing. Sorry, I'm all over the place. <laughs> Welcome to my life. Um, but it helps me also to write down everything I'll need for the phone call. So to like have the insurance card, a picture of it or the card next to me. And like, I always forget my dad's birthday. He's the one who's the holder of the car. And they ask me his birthday and I forget. And so I have everything down that I need. So, okay, so let me back up. <laughs> so yeah, you do the water, the deep breathing, the write it all out, the talk to the thoughts, and then you gather what you'll need for the task and feel prepared for the task. And then you just kind of do it after that. <laughs> Hopefully that made sense. <laughs> I think that's a really good method because it's true when you have all these thoughts in your head, it can be overwhelming and scary. When you put them on paper and you go through them, you can kind of see that it's not as overwhelming as your mind has made it to be right and you can better understand and better prepare yourself exactly. do you find that you plan exactly. ahead a lot in life like are you always planning ahead is that like a habit that you've kind of started to develop is that something you've always done no planning ahead is like my worst nightmare to be honest and that's it's something I've learned from therapy and from coaching but it's something I was always so bad at and it was just it's so daunting to plan ahead because the present is already for me a lot of the time really overwhelming and so to plan ahead and try to think of the future too it's like my worst nightmare it's so many things and I think that's why people with ADHD have difficulties planning ahead because it's like hold up I'm struggling with the present what do you mean you want me to think about the future but as I practiced doing it and talked to my therapist, my coach about it. And they've kind of like helped me deal with the emotional aspects of taking on more thoughts. It actually is a lot easier. But like with any other task or any other treatment, things get worse and get harder before they get better. And so when I first started planning ahead, I was a mess. Like it's hard. It's real hard to plan ahead and to deal with all of that. 
But the more you do it and the more you remind yourself that you're safe in this moment and do that breathing and do the other coping mechanisms, meditation, other things, and take it just piece by piece and then plan it out, then as you actually have to go in and live it, it's a lot easier. But I love how you take my ramblings and make them make sense. I really appreciate that during this call. <laughs> no, because you do. You know, because you do have so many really valid points and you tie them all together. But wow. <laughs> I love that about planning ahead. And it is difficult and overwhelming for a lot of people. And I'm the person who's always been like super organized, plan ahead, where my entire life is in a planner. And I have to have everything planned or that will give me like extreme anxiety from something that's unknown. I can't live in the moment. I'm not good at that. And my brother is the person who has to live in the moment. He's like, I don't know, talk to me about it next week if it's happening next week. <laughs> Learning how to plan ahead, to me, that sounds like the most easiest thing, like a life, like changing amazing experience that everyone should do. But for a lot of people, that can be so difficult and overwhelming. And I never realized that. Right. That's a really yeah. good point. It's so good with, to have a balance of present and future. I think that it's good to live in the moment. And there's a lot of great things that I get to experience from being able to live in the moment and just enjoy where I'm at. But then it also is important to have some planning or else your moment will just go right into the next moment. And then that's where a lot of stress and barrier comes because you're like, oh no, I'm not ready for this moment. Like I was still in that moment. So it is a good, it's good to have balance. Yeah, it is. That's a really, really, really good point. I feel like a lot of people need to understand that more that, and no matter whether you have a mental health disorder, you don't, whether you're struggling in any way or not, that learning how to kind of allow yourself to plan ahead a tiny bit. You don't have to plan 10,000 steps ahead. You don't have to plan for a month or two months at a time, but to prepare yourself for that next moment is so important because moments kind of pass us by. And then a lot of people end up overwhelmed because everything still has to happen and it's last minute now right so if that happens to you where like everything just overwhelms you and the last minute and you have so much to do what kind of coping mechanisms do you use in that moment to get through it um that moment happens for me a lot and that was my old normal for sure um in the moment it's really difficult honestly I cry in the moment <laughs> if I get so overwhelmed I can't handle it I cry and that is so cathartic and so therapeutic for me to get it all out and I always feel a hundred times better so I cry it out if I feel just completely overwhelmed and then I just think of the top priority thing that I need to do what is the number one thing that has to absolutely get done right this second and I make a list and I'm not good at lists, but I'm getting better. And if you just take it as what's top priority, most urgent right this second and just go down from there, it works out and it's stressful and it's hard and it's scary, but that's important. But then also my normal coping mechanisms, well, mechanisms like the deep breathing and the personal affirmation saying, I'm okay, I'm not a failure for messing up this time. That's a big one for me. A lot of the times when I mess up um, or when something's not as planned as I want it to be, I automatically am like, oh no, I'm reverting. I'm awful. This is terrible. I'm the worst. And so it's like, reframe that, calm down, not the end of the world. Just go to the next thing. Like 
get back on track. And so that's something that's good for me is to not take it so heavily, but just figure out where do I go from now? What's the next best thing to do to kind of get me out of this hole? I hope that answered your question. <laughs> when you were talking about like crying out, that's something I always do. Like if I get really overwhelmed and I heard this quote that I feel like you were like, that was like, sometimes like your body's just like, there's a fire within you and you just need some water to like put it out. So you need I to cry love out. that. <laughs> and I think that's so true. A lot of people are so afraid to cry it out or to admit that they have to cry it out. But sometimes you're just so overwhelmed and you need to just, you need some kind of release and crying can be a great way to get it all out and be able to bring yourself back to a calm so that you can start doing the next step that you need to do. Exactly. I do love that quote. That's awesome. Right? It's a really good one. I thought you would like it. So you do a lot of affirmations, you said. I'm a huge fan of affirmations. Like if you walked around my apartment, there's sticky notes with affirmations everywhere. I do, I make these like encouragement cards and for like patients at mental hospitals and they have like a bunch of affirmations Ooh. in them. I'm just like, that's my biggest thing. I absolutely love it. So you said failure is like one that's really big for you. And that's also one that I can relate to. Like always feeling like I'm not good enough or like I'm going to mess up or I'm going to fail or I'm not going to be able to live up to somebody else. Right. So what would you say are like your top three affirmations that really help you when you have those thoughts? Top three. Hmm. I actually... I think they're all in this Winnie the Pooh quote, to be honest. Before I went to college, I was really scared because I just was going to go live on my own. I was like, I, I'm not very organized. Like, I'm going to fail. Um, and she gave me this plaque. It's painted pink. It's in my daughter's room now. But it's that quote from Winnie the Pooh. And it, oh my gosh, I'm going to butcher it. But it's, you are braver than you believe, stronger than you seem, smarter than you think. And then there's a fourth one that's not on the plaque, but it's still good and love more than you know. So I think those are actually my favorite affirmations because I see that plaque every day. I have it on my wall. Um, I had it in my dorm room and then I had it in my living room. And then when I had my daughter, my husband was kind of tired of having a pink wall in the middle of the room. So he's like, let's put it in her room. So we put it in her room. And so, yeah, I think brave, smart, strong, and loved. I think those are my top four. You said three, but that's four. <laughs> Absolutely love that. I'm a huge Winnie the Pooh fan myself. <laughs> you can find so much wisdom in Winnie the Pooh. You really can. And one of like the encouragement cards that I actually just made has like, you're stronger than you think. And it's a picture of Winnie the Pooh. I love that. Like, that's such an important one. And when you bring it back to like a childhood memory of something that was positive, I feel like that really kind of helps like your inner child and your yeah. that felt that little bit of heartbreak and kind of just feel it a little bit. So yeah, I really love that. Oh my God, that was really good. So what are like, what is like your final message that you would like to say to people who have like ADHD and anxiety? What advice would you give them? I think number one, it's important to remember that it's not your fault. It's not anything you did to get it. You just have it. It's just the way your brain is and that's okay. Um, a lot of the time I felt like things were my fault. I wasn't organized enough because I didn't try hard enough. I wasn't good in school because I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't good at like cleaning my room because I didn't care about my belongings enough. Like all of these things saying that it's your fault and it's because you don't care. You don't try. No, people with ADHD and anxiety, I feel like try so, so hard to be good and to be accepted and to be loved. 
And it's not our fault that it's harder. It's not. And so that's something that I have to remind myself constantly. I don't know why I'm getting emotional. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's really good advice because a lot of people, like we take our mental health as if it's like our fault, that we weren't, that we did something wrong to feel this way. And that's not normal to feel this way. And it's not that it's not normal. It's that that's your normal and you can heal and grow from it. Right. And like my mom used to always tell me, like after we knew and after we found out, she'd always say, because I, I have contacts, I don't see very well without them. And so my mom would always be like, well, Annie, you needed a prescription and you needed contacts and you needed glasses to see correctly. Like, and so many people need glasses to see. And everybody is just like, that's normal. Nobody thinks you're dumb for not being able to see. Nobody thinks it's your fault that your eyes don't work correctly. Like nobody feels shame for needing glasses. At least nobody I know does. And so I feel like it's good to think of things like that. And when you get a cold, like nobody shames you for getting a cold. Nobody is like, oh, you're stupid. Your lungs didn't work. Like, no, no. <laughs> and so I think it's important to remember that mental health is so much like physical health and like different body parts. Like my brain doesn't work in the way that's the most helpful to me without tools and strategies and support. Like it's not bad to go to therapy to get tools. It's not bad to take medication if you need it. It's hello, that's support, that's glasses for your brain. And so that's something that helps me a lot with the shame is to remember that it's support. It's to help you succeed. It's not a failing to need it. That's, I absolutely love that. The, like people don't shame you for wearing glasses. People don't shame you for getting a cold. But when it comes to your brain, our brains can get sick too, right? We can all have issues where our mental health, whether it's something that our brains wired differently or it's something that we develop over time because of insecurities that develop and the, or the way we're treated traumas that we go through we all are susceptible to our brain getting sick and we don't treat it with the same respect and care and attention and love and support that everyone deserves that was really insightful i love that thanks thank you so much for joining me today i really appreciate it Thanks for inviting me. It was so fun to talk to you in person and for you to make my thoughts sound better. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs>